0: And I'm on, this is Dr. Bill with a little say it loud, you're black and you're proud. So we got a lot going on this week, how about that guys? Busy week. George Floyd and the cop up in Minneapolis, uh, I'm always curious to see how the ultra-liberal cities end up handling their uh, ultra I don't know what you would call it, difficult situations, but it's interesting to see. So we'll talk about that, and there's three aspects to this, and I'm not going to get into it at first, but I just wanted to tell you what I'm going to focus on is the civil unrest and the criminal activity, the police conduct, and a little bit about the riots and the psychology of it if we have time. well, Let's talk a little medicine real quick, though. There's another study on Plaquenil hydroxychloroquine, that came out, British Medical Journal, uh, European study, 181 patients, 84 were assigned to receive the uh, hydroxychloroquine within 48 hours of admission. I don't know why they waited up to 48 hours. And then 89 did not receive it. And the statistical analysis says there's a, a little bit of difference that the people who did not receive it actually did better. Uh, if you look at the raw numbers, it's not a whole lot. And, of course, 181 people, when you've got a pandemic that's involving hundreds of millions of people, doesn't seem to me to be a very powerful study. Uh, But I I must say to the author's credit, they do recognize that this is not uh, a study of the use of hydroxychloroquine, plaquenil, as preventative and that there may be some flaws in it in that it was started 48 hours after people were in the hospital and they were already sick. So I I think that uh, we still have a ways to go when we look at this drug and the effects that it has on the on the virus and on the natural history of the disease. The problem is, is this cytokine storm, cytokine storm, and I've talked with you guys about this before, about the white blood cells getting recruited. They start releasing all these toxic chemicals, and their their purpose is to try to kill the bad actors, the virus or the bacteria that invades the body, and also to recruit other white blood cells, let them know that there's a, a war going on. Well, you get enough of these inflammatory proteins in your in your system, these cytokines, and guess what? <clears throat> you end up with... A secondary reaction where your own tissue is being damaged by your own body's defense mechanism so uh, you know this is a, a tough situation uh, for the body to handle uh, novel viruses like this and the viral load and we know that a lot of the problem is a secondary response not necessarily the viral infection but the body's own reaction to it so we have to use multiple agents anti-inflammatories like corticosteroids and Plaquenil. Uh, of course, we've got the antiviral agent Remdesivir, which I've been talking about, and it's doing such a great job at our little hospital. Uh, then there's the use of uh, respiratory treatment. There's secondary antibiotics. There's anticoagulation uh, with things like Coumadin or uh, Warfarin or Lovenox or Heparin or Aspirin or Plavix. And all these things together seem to have a synergistic effect, at least in our setting, because we haven't had many people die. Um, you got somebody on the phone for me, Todd, about the riots?
1: Yeah, we have Todd waiting for you, Doc, if you're ready. What do
0: you got for I'm ready, Todd. What up? I'm, re- I'm ready, I'm ready, Doc. God bless CNN, you, buddy, for, um, Todd? for everything you're doing. And, I, skipped over. I guess we lost him. No, no he's, I'm right here. I'm right here.
1: He's got to turn his. He's got to turn his mic. He's uh, radio down. He's, I'm right
0: he's... here. I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> okay. Well, turn your radio down. There we go. There mm. yeah, I am. Todd. W- yes, sir. Bill. Doctor Bill. How you doing, buddy? Okay. What's up? Hey, I'm just. I was just. I was just chiming in real quick. Chime away. Quick! I just want you know, just just basically, I just want to say, you know, the riots here. Here you have the Democrat governors. This is why it was so important to get Ron DeSantis elected here in Florida. We would have been shut down, and 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 now you have, you know, Soros and his group. They have they have a group in every city to, you know, and then these governors let their their city get burned down. Let me say something Die. about. Their, I'm from Die. yes sir. Todd yes sir. This is not yes, sounding sir. quick. <laughs> well, just it in here just to stand up for the country and, and God bless Donald Trump because they try and blame him for everything. He had nothing to do with that, and that's Thanks, why we gotta fight for our country. Thanks for so calling, good. buddy. We appreciate God, your man. input. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so <clears throat> now there's another thing I want to talk about briefly before we get into the into the riots and the death of George Floyd. By the way, last week, guess who Hit me up right after the show. We were up in Clearwater. Roger P. Roger P. Shulman, our own station broadcaster, newsman. I couldn't believe it. He said, hey, doc, are you in the building, the Hilton Hotel? I said, yeah. He says, you got two minutes that I can talk to you? I was thrilled. You know, it's always nice to be uh, recognized by somebody of his stature. So, Roger, thank you for for asking me to give a couple of minutes of my time and my thoughts on the virus, and I hope that it aired well for you. That was sweet of him, don't you think, Ken?
1: Oh, I heard the interview. It actually sounded very well. Uh, the next day on Monday, I was listening, so yeah.
0: Oh, good, good. Okay, well, thanks, Roger. I just wanted to shout out for you, bud. So here's the deal now. China's cracking down on Hong Kong and violating the treaty that they negotiated with the British to give Hong Kong independence until, what, 2048 or somewhere in their uh, semi-autonomous state. And that's not the only semi-autonomous region in China. The Mongolian uh, region is also semi-autonomous. And uh, so this is not not a new thing for the Chinese. They've negotiated these treaties with other provinces within their country. But now they're saying they're going to take that away. And we're saying, well, we're going to retaliate. Well, you know, people are thinking trade wars and this and that. But here's the big thing that people don't understand is that Hong Kong is the the financial hub through which China does business with the world. And that business is conducted largely in US dollars. Why? Because the Chinese dollar, the yuan, is not trusted. And why isn't it trusted? Because the Communist Party manipulates the currency as they see fit. So if they're not happy with the way that the international community evaluates their money well they'll just devalue it so that then their goods are cheaper on the world market and you say well what's the big deal and how can we intervene with this okay so let's say that uh, i lend you 10 dollars 2 days ago and or you lend me 10 dollars or let's make it euros. Let's make it 10 euros. So I agree to pay you back either 10 euros or $10. You lend me 10 euros. And that that time, two days ago, the euro and the dollar are worth the same. But then one day ago, I devalue our dollar. So that now a $10 stake costs $5 here. Well, guess what? the euro which was worth 1 to 1 is now worth 2 to 1 so when i go to pay you back i pay you back in dollars and you say wait a minute i want euros and i said well no you agreed to either euros or dollars and you say well yeah but now you're just giving me 5 euros because you devalued your money so well that's too bad that's the way it is you agreed to to the deal so you're getting back less than you lent me, half of what you lent me. Because when you go to buy dollars or to purchase something with with that uh, 5 euros, or that $10, rather, that's only worth 5 euros. So you've lost. So this is what the Chinese are doing. So that's why we have so much leverage over them. Now, when you manipulate your money in your markets like that, Then we can say to you, well, you can't borrow any more money from us. You can't come to our Federal Reserve, and we're not going to sell you any more Treasury bills. And so then you say, well, then we'll trade in yuan's." And people around the world who want to do business with you say, you know what? We don't really trust you and your currency. So either dollars or no deal. So we can start clamping down, and you can say, well, how are you going to stop countries and big banks from doing business with the Hong Kong banks? Well, you know what? In the United States, if you – let's say Citizens Bank of America, which I don't even know if there is one, decides that they want to do business in Hong Kong with some of the big Hong Kong banks that are uh, conduits for money from mainland China – And so the Federal Reserve says, well, if you do business with them, we're not going to make you any overnight loans. Well, that's how banks get by. They get overnight loans from the federal government, and then they use those loans to fund their loans, and their loans make money for them so that they can pay back that money to the Federal Reserve. And that's how it works. So believe me, we have a lot of power over China and their foreign trade, even without a trade war, even without sanctions, even without imposing new tariffs, we can do a lot. And so the Chinese better think twice about stepping too hard on the freedom of the people of Hong Kong. And now they're criticizing us because of these riots and saying, see, you intervene in our riots and now you don't want us to intervene in your riots. Well, you know, Hong Kong riots are not particularly violent, I mean, they're not burning down buildings, they're confronting the police over the right to free speech. Big difference. So that's my little uh, takeaway on that, and by the way, Congress has taken that up, and they are looking at uh, what they can do to intervene in the uh, dollar-yuan uh, tussle there in Hong Kong, and how our intervening in their use of our dollars in world trade can put pressure on them to behave and to be open to expanding democracy within their country. Of course, they don't want to. The communist party doesn't want to give up because you know what? It's Big Bunny. I mean, it's it's kind of like the mafia. If you're in the communist party, you're basically a made man. You can open up uh, and get government uh, assistance for big private industries and you have uh, access to privileges that the common guy doesn't have. And so there's a lot of benefits to being in the party. You know, it's, it's kind of like being in Congress, but in Congress you have some differences between the left and the right and the Democrats and the Republicans and the centrists. Whereas if you look at the communist party meetings in China, which they had one last week, everybody's clapping in unison. Everybody's standing at the same time, sitting at the same time. There's no dissent. It's whatever the party line is. That's what they do. So we'll see where that goes. <clears throat> now, it's going to be a long show with this, uh, with this whole situation with, with George Floyd and his death up there in, in Milwaukee. Uh, by the way, um, I was curious as to whether George had a record if he had had any criminal activity in the past, and people say, well, it's not nice to be smirched the dead. It's, you know, I've been doing this. I talk about dead people I don't like, and I've been doing it for decades, and I don't care. And I don't know George. He may be a very likable guy. They say he was a man of peace and love. Guess what he did for a living? He was a bouncer. Now, he also had a criminal record when he lived in Texas. Uh, And that doesn't mean that It justifies what the policeman did. But let's talk a minute about the first aspect of this, which is breaking the law. And people say, well, you know, passing a phony $20 bill, if he did that, and I don't know that he did, uh, is a victimless crime. No, it's not. You deflate the value of my money and you make my ability to purchase more difficult when you pass counterfeit money. I mean, it's very simple. You dilute the amount of money in circulation and make my money less valuable, so it is not a victimless crime. Now, I don't know what happened. I've looked at the video, what little I can find, and the first thing I see is George being handcuffed and and told to sit down against the wall of the building, and then there's obviously a time lapse, and then all of a sudden you see the cop with his knee on George's neck. And I think that's egregious behavior. Personally, I'm going to get into the cops. But first, let's let's finish with George. I don't know if George was resisting arrest. Now, the police that were involved say that he refused to get into the squad car. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, because we don't see that part of it. What we do see is that the cop has his knee on the guy's neck and the guy's yelling, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Let me up. Well, if you can yell, I can't breathe, you're breathing. So, was he breathing? Was he choked to death? No. Now, Milwaukee and Wisconsin, or Minnesota, Minneapolis and Minnesota being the wonderful, liberal, open states that they are, you can't get any information. It's all sealed. You have to be uh, uh, somebody in in police work or an investigation or a lawyer on the case. you got to have... Uh, uh, an order from a judge to release this information in Florida. When, uh, Trayvon Martin was killed, I just went to the Broward or, or, uh, I forget which County it was in. I just went to that County's records where the autopsy was done. It was public record. And I got, I got the autopsy report that the forensic pathologist did for the state and, uh, used it on the show. Guess what? You can't get that in, uh, Minnesota. They won't release that information. So it's secondhand. So I see a lot of outlets that are saying that the report from the pathologist said that he did not choke to death. He was not suffocated, that he probably had a cardiac event, a heart rhythm problem. He had high blood pressure. He had a thickened heart. And I said this at the lunch table earlier this week, that he didn't die from suffocation. He had a heart rhythm disturbance. How does that happen? Well, you know, you put pressure on the carotid artery in the neck and you can cause the heart to slow down. Uh, You put pressure on the arteries of the neck and you can push the blood pressure up. You can affect how the heart rate is and how the blood pressure is just by pressing on and manipulating the the arteries in the neck. And I know because I, I do it as a cardiologist. Uh, that's how we sometimes slow the heart rate down when your heart's going too fast and we're not sure whether the rhythm is coming from the top or the bottom of your heart or what. So there are things that can be done uh, intentionally or accidentally to somebody by putting pressure on their neck, including causing a heart rhythm disturbance, which is probably what George uh, had and what he died from. Now, I don't know this guy. And, uh, you know, they're making him out to be a saint. And I, I can't believe that. I mean, come on. I'm no saint. I've done a lot of illegal things in my life. Thank God the statute of limitations has gone back again But, you know, certainly I'm no angel. And uh, when I die, I don't expect people to say, oh, he was a wonderful guy. You know, I could be a real a-hole at times. Uh, that's just the facts of life. Hopefully, I've gotten a little nicer with age, and I'm sure that George Mello, too, it had been a while since he had had any, any run-ins with the police from what I could see of the records that I could pull up. Not that I know whether those records are accurate or not, because, again, it's, it's hard to get information. You know, the wonderful thing about Florida is you can pull up so much information. We are so transparent in this state. You can go to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and for a small fee, you can search somebody's state uh, arrest record and see if they've had any arrest. We do that all the time when we hire people at the office. We had one, one woman come in in her mid to late 40s, seemed like a really nice person. Everybody loved her, uh, and I've always said that. If everybody loves the, the new guy in the emergency department or the new nurse in the emergency department, you better be careful. They're probably a sociopath, and they'll be in the drug cabinet the minute they can. So I said, wait a minute, let's check this out. Sure enough, this lady had had an arrest for grand theft in the 1980s or 90s. That doesn't mean that she wasn't a good person now, and everybody's allowed to make a mistake. But I'm always suspicious if things sound too good and too rosy. So, okay, let's say that George didn't do anything to provoke the police. Let's say that he didn't refuse to get in the squad car, that they just didn't like him. They didn't like him because he was black, or they didn't like him because he was six foot six tall, or they didn't like him because he was saying, I didn't do anything wrong, whatever it was. And they knelt on his neck and they caused him to die uh, and, and unintentionally from what I can see and tell. And so now third degree murder charges have been brought, which is equivalent to uh, uh, a, a voluntary manslaughter charge, I believe, in Florida. It's uh, when you cause somebody's death uh, without intending to, uh, through your negligent acts. Uh, and and certainly it was very negligent of the cop to continue to kneel on his neck and to give him a hard time. I mean, there's plenty of cops here. Why didn't they just pick him up, throw him in the squad car, and get it over with? I don't know. We'll have to see what the investigation brings forward. And we need to see the whole film. We need to see what happened between the time that George was up against the wall and the time that he was on the ground on the other side of the squad car. There's a big gap there. Uh, And you know that there's some video somewhere and that this has been edited. It has been edited undoubtedly that a big chunk of this video is being withheld uh, 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 for effect. And that doesn't forgive what the police did, but there may be some mitigating circumstances that we have to take into account that would have perhaps precipitated the actions of the police as egregious as they were and as uh, negligent as this cop was in his behavior. Uh, Still, there may be some mitigating circumstances that may lessen the charges against this cop. I don't know. Now, the family wanted first-degree murder, and of course, that's not sustainable. You cannot sustain uh, a a charge of first-degree murder because there would have had to been prior intent, so the cop would have had to come to the scene with the intent of knowing George and wanting to kill him, and there's just no evidence of that. Now, the cop's got some problems, too. Apparently, he's had some disciplinary problems, and these disciplinary problems have involved, uh, you know, in part, misuse of force. And and that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And so this gets into the whole thing of uh, how do we police our cops? Well, as you know, I have said over the years that the cops need oversight. They need oversight because they're human beings just like you and me. And uh, they have extraordinary power. You take a guy with a high school or uh, college education, And you, young guys mostly, and you give them a badge and a gun and, uh, what, two or three months of training. I don't know how much training they get. Do you know, uh, Ken, I don't think they get a whole lot of training. Do they?
1: It's at least like six weeks or something like that. I'm not sure to tell you the truth.
0: Six weeks to three
1: months. Somewhere in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's like going to basic training to be a soldier. That's not a lot of training that doesn't prepare you for life on the streets that's something that you learn more on the job. But, you know, let's let's just assume that uh, most of the people who go into law enforcement are well-intended and that they uh, are reasonable people with a clean nose and and a good, uh, good outlook on life and that they really want to help and, and do all the things that are necessary to ensure that society is safe, at least when they get there. I'm sure as they get older, they're like any other profession. They get a little cynical and start thinking about, uh, (laughs) why am I doing this? But after a while it becomes a job and, and we still have to respect the police. You know, that's not, it's not that we are disrespecting the police by talking, uh, bad about an individual cop or a subset of cops who are, uh, misbehaving and not, not doing, uh, right by society. And, and you know, you you think about how they screen these guys and what their requirements are. Well, for our St. Pete Police Department over here on the uh, west side of the bay, a polygraph examination, vocational assessment, psychological evaluation, with a test and an oral interview, physical abilities test, uh, physical exam, make sure you're healthy, controlled substance test, so you got to pee in the cup, administrative interview, you got to talk to somebody in the administrative aspect of it. A background check, and uh, you have to be at least 19. 19's pretty young, pretty young to be putting a badge and a pistol in somebody's hand and tell them to go out and and uh, oversee the uh, citizenry. But that's not to say that it can't be done. We put guns in the hands of 19-year-olds all the time and send them to war. <clears throat> of course, you have to be a citizen. You have to in, in uh, St. Pete. You have to have a high school graduate degree or an equivalent supplemented with 60 semester hours in any recognized discipline at a department approved accredited college or university. 60 semester hours are required and uh, that can be for you know uh, an associate degree in law enforcement or you can have training at a police academy such as a southeastern public safety institute. So you have to have a little bit more Or you can have been in the military and have three years of honorable military service with two full years as a military cop. You have to complete an agility test because, you know, if you're going to pull your gun and shoot, you better be able to get it out of the holster. You have to be in good physical and mental health, pre-employment screening, vision screening, uh, good moral character have to live within 60 mile radius or two hours driving time of police headquarters. Uh, So there are some basic requirements. And now the police will say, well, you want to oversee us? You want a civilian board doc to oversee us? And I say, yeah, yeah, I do. Because I think that you guys need oversight just like any other profession. Maybe even more so because you have so much power in your hand. You've got a nine millimeter with a nine shot clip, so you can kill nine people quickly and easily. And, and the training you receive on the pistol range is, is pretty good. It needs to be because you may have to defend yourself. And let's face it, 99% of all cops never pull their gun, a small percentage actually pull their gun and shoot. And the cops will say, Well, Doc. You doctors, you don't you don't have outside oversight. You over you oversee yourself. You have your own committees and do your own disciplining. Not true, not true. If somebody complains to the state board and the, and that is reviewed, and by the way, it's reviewed by lay people initially, and it's deemed to be actionable that there may be something there that I may have done something wrong. If a patient says. Doc Handelman had sex with me, and I was his patient, and that's against the the medical code and the state statutes, and he should lose his license. This goes to the State Department of Health. They have a committee of people, uh, men, women, lay people, nurses, uh, whatever, and they look it over and they say, hmm, there might be something here. They refer it up. It goes up to another group. Uh, which are composed of lawyers and people who look into these things, and they investigate this. And then they decide whether or not there's something there. And after they make that decision, then they send it to the medical board, which is made up of doctors. And then the medical board has the final say on that. And the lawyers will make recommendations. And the medical board may go back to their lawyers and say, well, we're not sure who's telling the truth here what do you think we should do? And the lawyers will say, you should bring him in and question him and then make your decision. So then they call me in before the board and they say, Handelman, did you have sex with this patient? And I say, no. And well, the patient says this, this, and this. So where were you at this time and this time? And so then you have a little bit of investigation and then the board makes its decision with the input from lawyers and from lay people at the State Department of Health, the board, And so there is oversight of me by people other than doctors. And when I'm reviewed at the hospital for utilization review, am I utilizing our services properly or for quality assurance? Am I meeting all the quality standards? These are not rules and regulations that are laid down just by doctors. These come from the federal government. They come from the Joint Commission on the Accreditation of Hospitals. And these, uh, these rules and regulations is basically what they are, say that if you don't meet certain standards of care, quality uh, measures, then you'll be investigated by the hospital board and uh, by the hospital committees. And, and this can go up to the executive committee, which is composed of doctors, administrators, etc., And that can then go to the board of directors, uh, the, the hospital board, which is mostly lay people with some doctors on it and administrative people. So it's multi-tiered. And it starts off with, let's say that uh, I gave penicillin to a patient who was allergic to penicillin. The pharmacy didn't catch it. And so it falls on me that I made a bad decision and the patient had a bad reaction to the penicillin. And I should have known that at I didn't take a good history. I didn't look at my own data. I didn't look at the patient's past history. I didn't look at the nurses' notes to see that the patient was allergic to penicillin. It's hard to happen nowadays because you've got pharmacy and nurses and everybody. It's just an example though. Come on guys, it's just an example. So let's say I do that and I get called before it's reviewed by the, by the nurses and the uh, lay people in, on the quality assurance committee and I get called in because it goes up to the medical staff committee, which is composed of doctors as well as people in the administration. And they say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Giving penicillin? And I say, Oh my God, I made a bad mistake and I feel bad and uh, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I, I probably need to have some kind of disciplinary action, go take a course or whatever. And then the, the committee says, oh, OK, well, Bill, you look like you're really, you know, sincerely you made a mistake. Maybe you were having a migraine headache or whatever. Or they say, you know, this is not adequate because you've had a couple of other incidences. And we're going to send it on to medical executive committee. So then that goes to the group of doctors that are elected as the governing board of the medical staff. And then they say, well, you know, we're not happy with your behavior, Handleman, And we're going to discipline you. Uh, you're on probation and I said well that's not fair and they said well then we'll send it up to the board and the board will look it over because the board has to approve everything anyway that the med executive committee does 99% of it they just rubber stamp so when the police say that it's not fair that we have oversight by non-policemen when you guys as doctors don't they're way out of line that is absolutely positively not true and so we got this cop who's had disciplinary problems in the past apparently and again it's hard to get the real data because when you go into uh Minnesota they being the wonderful liberal state that they are are not going to let you see anything cuz they, <laughs> they they don't want they don't want you to know what's really going on unlike Florida where we're a bunch of rednecks and crackers and hillbillies and and we're bad but you can find out anything about anybody down here just about and uh, so you can't find it out. So we're we're getting secondhand information from the news agencies, and we know that the news agencies are biased, and that they're going to let out what they want to let out. So let's say that this guy, what was his name, Chauvin? Is that his name? I think Ken.
1: I think so. Yeah, that sounds right.
0: You know, I think that he had had some disciplinary problems in the past, but every time. Uh, I guess it was swept under the carpet because he continued on as a cop. And I guess after eight or ten times of doing this, you figure, well, hell, I can get away with anything. And maybe he can. I mean, maybe as a cop, when you have a badge and a gun, you can get away with almost anything. But not this time. He got caught. He got caught with his knee on the neck of a guy who probably... Did not deserve to be uh, so roughly handled and certainly didn't deserve to be held down for as long as he was. Now, if you just put your knee on his neck for a minute and you got up and said, all right, get in the squad car, or if you'd used a taser or mace or something else. Uh, you know, you would have been criticized, but you certainly wouldn't be on trial for third-degree murder, which this guy's going to be on trial for. And there'll be civil rights charges brought by the federal government. And guess what? Civil rights charges are uh, they are a lot tougher to, to get out of, and the penalties are a lot stiffer and can even include uh, execution. Did you know that? Uh, if you violate someone's civil rights, and it results in their death, you can even be, uh, you can receive the death penalty and be executed. And I didn't know that. I heard that on one of the news shows from a lawyer. So this is a big deal for this cop. Now he's ruined the life of, or the lives of the family members, and they're going to be embroiled in litigation for a decade to come. And litigation's no fun. Uh, it sparked a, a national protest with a lot of riots, and the rioting is uh, is uh, deleterious to the society. It just destroys small businesses and uh, tears down the moral fiber of our of our society. It involves people in acts that they wouldn't normally commit. So there's a whole another thing, and and you've got a, a an unnecessary death here, regardless of what the guy did regardless of whether he was a good or a bad guy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't give you the right to uh, cause his death, either accidentally or on purpose, by your negligence. You know, if I'm negligent and somebody dies, I get sued, and I could lose my license. So this cop's in deep doo-doo, and he's caused a lot of problems around the country, obviously. And we've got a whole mess going on here now because of this. So, what are we going to do about it? Well, when I come back from break, I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do about it, because I'm Dr. Bill, and I got the answers for you guys. Come on back.
1: We get what we deserve. We've been built and we've been gone. We've been With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. Another night of unrest in just about every corner of the country. Charred and shattered landscapes in dozens of American cities following more protests over the death of a Minneapolis man in police custody. Police have arrested at least 1,669 people in 22 U.S. cities, the latest tally according to the Associated Press. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is expanding a state of emergency to authorize the deployment of up to 3,000 National Guard troops to protests in cities across the state. Kemp says he's prepared if needed to send Guard soldiers into Atlanta, Savannah, and any other Georgia cities where demonstrations are planned. He had already approved up to 1,500 Guardsmen to help enforce a Saturday night curfew in Atlanta. And India is reporting more than 8,000 new coronavirus cases,
0: a single-day record. This is SRN News. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Copays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments, so call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727 727- This important message is for anyone experiencing financial hardship and owes back taxes to the IRS or has unfiled tax returns. Recent events have caused massive job layoffs and financially burdened millions. While tough times will go away, the IRS won't. At Community Tax, we're on top of evolving IRS collection policies that could make it easier to resolve tax problems and dramatically lower monthly payments. If you're facing a serious loss of income, you may qualify for IRS hardship programs that may lower your monthly payments or provide dramatic tax savings. For taxpayers who owe less than $250,000 and are in a payment arrangement with the IRS, new guidelines could lower your payments substantially.
1: Community Tax has decades of experience helping taxpayers with IRS collections. So call our helpline today for your free consultation and learn what programs you qualify for. Call 800-500-5588. That's 800-500-5588. 800-500-5588. Take AM 860 The Answer with you wherever you go. With our mobile app, TheAnswerTampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at Radio.com. The fighting spirit of the Marine Corps is born of Battles won. Battles won within, over enemies of fear enemies of doubt it's who we are it's what we do it's a promise made to you for more than two centuries a promise of the marines here is your exclusive accuweather forecast a partly sunny day today with a high 92 then a partly cloudy night low 76 for tomorrow clouds and sunshine along with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm for the afternoon high getting up to 93 tomorrow night Turning out to be mostly cloudy, low 73. That's your AQ weather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860, The Answer. Some people say we got a lot of malice. Some say it's a lot of but I say we want but moving. But we get what we
0: deserve. And I'm We're back. Big this big. is Dr. Bill with a little bit of James and Brown. Some gone. people say it's malice. Some people say it's this. But uh, James Brown just wanted to get what he thought he deserved. Can't blame him. Don't blame them a bit. And I think that uh, the situation in the United States has actually gotten a lot better racially than when I was a kid. But we still have a ways to go, obviously. Uh, This is uh, really egregious what happened to George Floyd. We're talking about the three issues here. We talked about the criminal activity of George Floyd and whether or not it justified the response. Uh, We're talking about the police conduct or misconduct and the need for civilian review boards and tougher oversight because if they had gotten rid of this cop shoving earlier on, this wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have had all these riots going on. These civilian review boards need to have teeth. and We need federal laws that mandates this for police departments greater than a certain size, and uh, the the civilian review boards need the power to subpoena and to uh, push things up to the prosecuting attorneys and district attorneys and their, and their jurisdictions and to have some assurance that their recommendations will be reviewed appropriately and legal action taken uh, if uh, it's determined that their assessment of the misconduct of the police is right. And that's not to say that the police are bad. They're just people. They're just people like you and me. Okay, so that was part two. That was the second issue. Now we have the third issue of the civil unrest and the riots. And this is really a mess. And you know what? All <clears throat> I also have to do is think back when I was that age and in my involvement in the chaos of the late 60s. And I was involved in it. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't. Uh, and I was probably on the wrong side at that time from a conservative point of view. But nevertheless, I understand how these things develop and the anger that comes with youth and the feeling of helplessness and the fear uh, that that we all have of of uh, being discounted, of not being uh, involved, of not having civil rights or financial rights, of not being able to make it. So there's a whole lot of fear that goes into this. And when we're young, we have that. I mean, we don't know. You know, we haven't had the experience when we're in our late teens, early 20s. And so we're vulnerable to the manipulations that come with uh, the emotions of youth and the inexperience of youth. And so this is what makes for a, a, a crowd, a, a mob moving down the street. You got to have foot soldiers, and there they are. <clears throat> so civil unrest and riots. What happens? People come out to protest and to uh, uh, to exert their their right to be heard in our society to free speech, and uh, it starts out oftentimes with the best of intentions, and then there's a local response to the events, or in the case of Minneapolis, no response, which was kind of stupid, and now it's coming home to roost, and. So then there are local confrontations, or there's lack of any uh, civil authority overseeing the the protest, the march of these crowds, these mobs, and then you get outside agitators coming in, anarchist, antifa, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so you have an influx of professional agitators. This isn't new. This has been going on since the beginning of of time. Uh, the the Big race, the largest race riot, which I've talked about in the past in 1863 in New York City between the Irish Americans and the black Americans, uh, was also fueled by Irish thugs coming from other cities, Philadelphia, uh, Washington, Baltimore. And uh, so there's this outside influence that comes in. And there are people that actually make a living as professional agitators. You may not believe that. That's a fact. I have talked to people. I was on an airplane one one year, uh one time years ago, and a woman was going out to San Francisco. I was headed out there too, and I asked her what she was doing. She was being paid to go out, there was a protest going on, I don't know about what, but she was being paid to go out there and protest. I said, How does that work? She says, Oh, you know, you get get a hotel room and you get uh you get spending money for food and, and getting around town money and you get an airplane ticket out to San Francisco, so you go out and you protest for a while. Then you go have some fun, and then the next day you go out and you protest some more. So if you think that there are not professionals going out to do this, you ain't thinking. And the anarchists, which are the cousins of communists and the agitation that they bring into it, inevitably involves violence. So this escalates to violence quickly. Especially with the lack of any police or military intervention, yeah. and if there's inadequate uh, intervention or a delay on the part of the government's response, as what happened in 1863, because the state militia had all been sent to fight in the Civil War, and so the governor didn't have anybody to send down to New York City to help with the riot, and uh, the the police in the city were rapidly overwhelmed. And the mayor's mansion was burnt down. The New York Times uh, was burnt down. Uh, The orphanage that was founded by the well-to-do of the city for the black orphans who were coming up from the South uh, was uh, burnt down. Fortunately, the kids were all evacuated. Eight or 10 black men were lynched. Uh, There were at least 120 deaths, some people say a thousand, the largest race riot in our history. And partly because there just wasn't enough cops and military and national guardsmen, state militia to come in and handle it and keep it from getting out of hand. Finally, troops were freed up and they did get uh, federal and state uh, troops in there and, and put it down. But the, the riot lasted four or five days and caused considerable damage to the city. Much as we're seeing now, fortunately we haven't had many deaths, but, uh, We certainly have had a lot of destruction and a lot of chaos, and it's split the country once again between those who think there's justification for this kind of behavior and those who think that law and order is, is paramount because innocent people and businesses are being targeted by these crowds. So then you have this lack of local response or inability to response. The mob feels empowered. And they react even stronger. So they start turning over cars and burning down things and taking over a police station. So the military is called in to restore order. And then what happens? Then you have the criticism that we're living in a police state. Why are national troops, federal troops being sent in for a state or local matter? Because the state or the local jurisdiction can't handle it. Somebody's got to come in and help them out. They need help. And as wacky as some of these left-wing liberal Democratic mayors and governors are, in my heart of hearts, I don't think that they want to see their own cities and states burnt to the ground. I don't believe that. I mean, there may be that oddball that that would like to see the country torn apart so that they could rebuild a socio-fascist state, you know, a a quote-unquote communist or socialist state, which is just basically fascism. Come on. It's fascism with various levels of government control, one-party systems. So the military is called in, and the aftermath leaves businesses and neighborhoods destroyed, and it may take decades for them to get back on their feet. And where's the justice in that? And what does that prove? How does that help? It pushes up property taxes. Pushes down property values. It pushes up our our hazard insurance uh, and our business insurance. It pushes up the cost of everything because a lot of these businesses are insured. They have hazard and liability insurance. They have property insurance. They have fire insurance. And uh, you know, there may be writers that there's uh no coverage in the event of civil unrest or war or an act of God or whatever, like a tsunami. But uh a lot of these businesses will be able to regain some money from the insurers. And guess what? That's coming out of your pocket and in my pocket because we pay insurance. <laughs> you know, it's a common pool. And you say, well, I'm I'm with uh, I'm with the Hartford or I'm with USAA so it doesn't affect me. You know what happens? All these big insurers they go and they buy reinsurance so that if they get into trouble and they're tapped out completely by the uh, claims made in, in a major crisis that there's a reinsurer pool that will help them out and this is made up of Larger money pools like uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's uh, insurer re-company or Swiss Re, uh, there's a, several big uh, insurers that have been set up, uh, they've set up separate companies that are reinsurers that insure the insurers. So believe me, whether you think it's coming out of somebody else's pocket or not, you and I are involved and we are paying the tab. And we'll pay the tab for a decade or two to come for this. It'll push up the cost of a lot of different things, not just insurance. And it's coming on the heels of this pandemic when we had a shutdown. And, oh, my goodness, you know, this is a terrible time to have something like this happen. Although it has taken the country's mind off of the pandemic and focused it on something else. Uh this is this is a tough situation, and and so how do we how do we do this? How do we stop this? Well, first of all, we step in. We have to step in. I mean, you know, you you can't let children run amuck. Uh, you, you just can't. And I mean, this is largely children being manipulated by uh, young adults uh, who are dedicated to anarchy and to overthrowing the governments of the local, state, and federal jurisdiction. That's what they are. They they hate our style of government, our style of democracy. I can tell you, my baby sister, this is her to a T. She hates the United States. She thinks we're evil. I'm like, what are you talking about, Beth? There is no place better on Earth. She doesn't believe that. She thinks that uh, the Chinese communists are not bad people. She thinks that the Taliban are human beings just like you and me and that they don't kill indiscriminately and that they're not thugs. Yeah, they are. They're thugs. They're criminals. They're outlaws. They're drug dealers. And uh, there's just a whole lot of people out there that are not nice people. And this is still the best place on earth to be. And if it isn't, then why does everybody want to come here? So. We have to step in and defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And you guys know my first law, which is self-preservation. If you don't get that one down, the rest of the day is shot. So you have to preserve yourself. You have to live. We have to live not only as individuals, but as a nation, as communities. So let me recap all this. I don't know about this guy, George Floyd. Uh it looks to me like this was an unnecessary use of force and it resulted in the man's death uh, unintentionally, uh, the gonna, this cop's probably gonna go to jail for a uh, third degree murder charges. Uh, so, but we've got a criminal act. we have a police response. Up until that point, everything's appropriate. The second thing is we have a cop who is purportedly a bad actor and has not been uh, uh, adequately disciplined over the years. He's been called on the carpet, but apparently nothing has ever happened. He should have been dismissed a long time ago. And that's why we need civilian review boards to make sure that the police are behaving. And thirdly, we've got rioting. We've got young people who are easily influenced by outside agitators, have turned peaceful protests into mob violence and uh we got to put a stop to that. So we got three things we have to attack here. The criminality, the police misbehavior and these characters that are agitating to force these widespread riots. And that that's what I've got to say this morning Ken. What do you think? Did we hit anything? I think you got it all, buddy. <laughs> All right. Is Joe still there? You're, are you there, Joe? Or Joe's you going. He,
1: he, uh, he's got things to do, I guess. So.
0: Oh, he's out. Right. He's probably out. He's an agitator, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, got about 10 seconds, Doc. Say goodbye.
0: I'm out of here. Bye, everybody. Love you. See you next week.